The scripture for this morning is from the book of Esther, chapter 4, verses 12 through 17. Before we read the word of God, let's pray that he will give us wisdom to hear his word. Let's pray. Father, quiet the distractions in our mind and in our midst and help us to hear your word. Open our hearts and our minds to what you want us to learn this morning. And we ask that you would be with Matt as he preaches your word. We love you, Jesus. Amen. The word of God from the book of Esther. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, Do not think of your, to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, and hold a fast on my behalf, and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. We are doing a series where we look at each book of the Bible for one Sunday, which is a self-imposed challenge for me, for those who, who preach. And we're in a section of the Bible that is um, beautiful and disorienting. Beautiful because uh, we see different people attempting to faithfully follow God in incredibly, incredibly challenging places. You know how it feels when you're in a tough spot that you created for yourself? It's disorienting, but you're like, yeah, it's kind of my fault. What about when you're in a tough spot that someone else created for you? Perhaps you're in a tough spot because of who you are, meaning like the generations that got you to that place. Each one feels different. Each one requires different wisdom. Been in a tough, tough spot that someone else created for you, and you know why, but you still like when you picture them, you're like, <sighs> and tough spot is somewhat uh there's pretty shockingly low language for what's going on in the book of Esther. If you're familiar with the Bible, um, this is the section where the people of God have been exiled. And this book is actually in between uh, the events of um, Daniel and the events of Nehemiah. They overlap a little bit with Ezra, but these are the people that stayed. So the people of God were forcibly, violently, horrifically removed from their land, from their hometown, which also meant for them, for their religion, something we can't relate to. And these are the ones who stayed. And it's important to understand that because when Jeremiah was given the words of the Lord about being exiled, he said, seek the good of the city where you find yourselves. And friends, that's really encouraging to us 
for reasons I'll unpack over time, we get to do that as well. And that's what Esther and Mordecai are doing. They're seeking the good of the city. What followers of God and what Christians do is they leave the spaces that they're in better than they found them. That's part of who we get to be in the world because God has given, him, given us himself and guidance in that to cultivate the gardens, literally and metaphorically, of where we find ourselves. In the beginning of Esther, we find out that she lost her parents. And the writer of Esther, who I think was probably could write comedy and drama and thriller, if you've read the book, if you read it quickly, you might actually chuckle. If you read it quickly, you might actually be a little bit on the edge of your seat. And then when you get to the end, it's, there's some rough stuff. But the writer implies, without stating it, that something about who Esther was as a God follower led her to become, led her to mature in faithfulness to God and the people around her through that horrible tragedy of losing her parents. Part of how she became a woman who could stand up for her entire ethnicity, spread across 137 areas between Israel and India at this time, was through the maturing that comes with suffering. And suffering doesn't always mature us, right? But that's actually one of the sweetest promises of God to his followers is that your suffering is bound up in his purposes and for the good of your neighbor and for your own growth. And we see that happening here. The exiles serve. Peter, who we focused on a lot this week, when he wrote his letter to various God followers in the first century, began it with exiles. He called them that. Paul, in his letter to the Philippians, tells the people in Philippi that they are citizens of heaven, which is why it's encouraging to us to see how these exiles served. And it was lonely. It can at times be lonely to be a citizen of heaven in a world that does not understand, will not honor. I have a friend that apologizes every time he cusses around me. He's not a Christian and it kind of makes me feel misunderstood. Like this is the only this is the only time we get even near faith or things that matter in our discussions is when he's apologizing for something that he said. And by the way, he's the kind of cusser that doesn't bother me. There's a certain kind of cursing that bothers me. There's many kinds that don't. It can be lonely and we can feel misunderstood. Citizens of heaven. In this world, which is why seeing the exiles serve in fear, this king is very rash. The king that that uh, Esther serves under, he drinks a lot. He sometimes struggles with insomnia. At one point, he runs out into the garden full of wine and just trying to let go of his anger. The beginning. This is a story that probably deserves its own. Well, if this was a prestige TV show, chapter one would be very interesting, which is the king getting rid of the first queen, Vashti. 
what we learn in the first couple of chapters is that the king is a man to be a little bit nervous around, and everyone is. And my point is, how that encourages us is we watch Esther continue to be faithful and nervous at the same time. What she was getting at in the scripture that you read is, it's not legal at this time to just go and see the king. And so if you decide to go and see the king and he doesn't raise his scepter, you're toast. Not like in the veggie tale, you go to the island of perpetual tickling, which does sound terrible. You're done. My daughter reminded me of that veggie tale and would like credit for that, anal- that illustration. It was scary. And oftentimes we experience fear in the world and the opportunity presents itself to continue to act like a God follower. I was reading, um, I have a couple of different study Bibles, and one of them is called the Renovare Study Bible, and the verse-by-verse is terrible. It's no good verse-by-verse study Bible. But the introductions to each chapter are spectacular. And I was reading it, and it said, In Esther, God talks to no one, and no one talks to God. And I went back and read Esther for like the fourth time, and I was like, no, they talked to God. No, they didn't. Esther asked them to fast, and probably when they fasted, someone was praying, but it's not listed. In the ten chapters of the book, God doesn't talk to anyone, no one talks to God, and his name isn't mentioned. And you have felt that way in your life before. Yes, this is God's word. Does it feel like a human speaking to you, or not a human, sorry. Does it feel like God's voice to you at all times in comfort and conviction and encouragement? No. Sometimes it feels like a very far away, very thin-paged book. And so when we watch Mordecai and Esther remain faithful to God and to the neighbors around them, to their people, when there's no prophet... Maybe they didn't have a copy of the law, though they knew it. We're comforted by that. I was talking to a friend recently, and he, I don't know all that he meant by this, not a follower of Jesus. And he said, how can all of it be God's word? And Esther is a delightful part of that answer. Can comedy and tragedy and thriller And horror and drama tell a similar story as different genre. Yeah, they can. They can tell us things about God. They can tell us things about love. They can tell us things about family faithfulness. In many ways, Esther is the reverse version of the story of Ruth. If you're familiar with that, it's a beautiful story of a foreign woman who learns to worship God. And um, the... the redemption of that family story through her kind service. Esther's the reverse, a God follower in a foreign land who seeks the good of that place. And we see the people of God continuing in their practices as the people of God, continuing in their community. They're obviously talking with one another. When Esther requests that they fast together, they do that. And they seek wisdom. Which is, how then shall we live, even in this place and in this time? 
the exiles serve in, in fear. Esther had fear for her life. This is a rash, often drunken king. There's no telling what he's going to do. There's anxiety in those three days, I'm sure of it. We experience that very regularly. You know, when the doctor says we're going to run some tests, and you run some tests, and then it takes four days before you get the tests. And, and I know that that's something that, ex- that all humans experience. And that's kind of a simple illustration. What do we do in our anxiety? We continue to respond to his love for us by continuing to respond as a citizen of heaven in this world. Exiles serve in fear and in hope. Uh, Mordecai is a little bit more the, the um, main figure, chapters 1 through 3. He, he raises Esther after her parents die. Um, he sees that as part of his, who he is in the world, is to care for her. He saves the king from uh, two would-be assassins. And then what happens? Nothing. It's a really interesting part of the story. It's very stylishly written. Because later, this man named Haman, who is a diabolically evil person, rises to leadership in the king's house. And he comes out after he's promoted. And Mordecai doesn't honor him the way that Haman wants him to. And Haman is full of rage. And when I say diabolically evil, this is what I mean. We don't know exactly why Mordecai or Haman hates Mordecai. It might be because he's Jewish. It might be because uh, Mordecai is honored by the king at one point. It might be because, and I think the writer leans a little more towards this, Mordecai doesn't like say, Haman, you're the best. Haman, you're the best. This is how Haman responds. Haman builds a 75-foot-tall gallows to hang Mordecai from. That's how evil this person is. And then, when the king can't sleep, he gets up and he has someone read the history. And that's when he's reminded through the history that Mordecai saved him. And then the king asks Mordecai, or Haman, how should I celebrate someone who has served me so well? And this is when, if you're reading the book quickly, the way that you watch a television show, you might chuckle. Because Haman develops this great plan because he thinks he's going to be honored. And then Mordecai's honored. And at this point, Haman's wife starts to get nervous. And she's like, you should stop going after Mordecai. This is not going to go well. And then Haman is hung from the 75-foot-tall gallows. And that's not great. That's not actually supposed to make us happy. In chapter 9, well, I'll talk about that in a second. But it is what happens. And it is sometimes the reality in a world that Jesus has not returned to. Ruled by men and women who do not value life or God. The exiles serve in fear and in hope as they wait upon the Lord.